Okay, so in this podcast, I'm joined by Bill Egan. Bill is a senior instructional designer here within uh, World Campus Learning Design. And his other duty is to oversee our exploration teams initiative, which is essentially our method for doing goal-driven innovation. Um, another word for that, that that I'll use a little bit is operationalizing innovation, um, which is essentially making sure that the unit's efforts around innovation are focused on key pedagogical issues that um, online learners at Penn State have um, and that we've identified as a priority. So it's a way to sort of allow for the creativity that is necessary to do innovation properly, um, but then also uh, make sure that the results of the investments that we're making within innovation um, are are going to result in um, concrete impact for the unit. So, so we'll get into some of the details about this, but essentially the way we're approaching this is, you know, really lowering the barrier to entry um, to some extent for all staff across the organization to, to sort of pitch ideas, new ideas, um, and then to form these exploration teams around that, which require things like a charter and another early definition. And then making sure that kind of at the conclusion of a particular innovative exploration that the best projects essentially get converted into um you know a, a, the best explorations get converted into a project and then get new resources to advance them so it's a sort of iterative process of maturing an innovation um, and we've got a lot of success within our organization around that so so in order because it is there's a lot of process and management of that stuff bill is really heavily involved um, in, in managing that and making sure that each of the exploration teams is staying on track, that's really important so that they, um, you know, work through their intended goals in the time allotted, which whatever, it might be six months or something like that. But we really try to say, don't, don't let this drag on forever. Have a goal, pursue that goal, find out everything that you can about what you're looking at, whether it's artificial intelligence or learning analytics, whatever it is, that you find out what you can, do some proof of concept work, and get that done in a fixed period of time, um, and then share with leadership and share with the organization, and then we'll decide at that point whether we want to advance it. Sometimes we will, sometimes we won't. Um, but Bill's really been instrumental in helping us kind of develop those processes and make sure that all of that stuff that I'm talking about is successful. And and and, um, and and so he's you know really closely working with this team. So he's got a lot of interesting insights uh, into um, you know this particular model for maturing innovations, which I think that you'll find very valuable. All right. So today we are joined by Bill Egan. Thanks for joining us, Bill. No, oh, thank you for having me. So. We are going to talk about a concept of operationalizing innovation. Before we dig into that, can you give us a, just a real quick synopsis of your background and what your role here is in, in learning design? Absolutely. Um, I'm a senior instructional designer with Penn State World Campus. I've been with Penn State for about six and a half years now. Um, previously, before Penn State, I came from a uh, cyber charter school in Pennsylvania, working in educational technology. Um, in addition to my role as a senior instructional designer, I'm also the 
uh, innovation coordinator, which serves at a, in a capacity to help foster innovation within our learning design unit and um, help be a liaison between different initiatives that we set up and different groups that we have uh, working in, uh, working on different innovative uh, areas that we want to pinpoint. So I have to say, and this sounds perhaps a bit self-serving because we work in the same organization, that innovation coordinator is an awesome, awesome title. That sounds like an awesome <laughs> way to spend your time. It took us a long time to figure out a title for that role, but I think we yeah. found something that reflects what it what works. <laughs> well, I have to say, and we've talked about innovation in a previous podcast uh, extensively, but innovation can sound like a bit of a pompous word. And um, and yeah, so we talked a lot about the title and about the, the exploration teams, which we'll get into a little bit later. But I think it's really important to like take something that's lofty sounding like innovation, um, but then also, you know, for the people that pay our paychecks and, um, you know, n- want to see return on investment to have like, uh, if you're going to formalize an innovation process within an organization, you really have to take some effort and thoughtfulness to make it um, sound legit. So I think we accomplished that with some of the stuff that you're doing. Absolutely. And that was important just to get buy-in from not only leadership in, the, in our organization, but, you know, from the top down all the way through, it was very, we were very strategic in how we positioned this initiative, this role, how we mess the messaging around it just to get buy-in from everyone and, and, and to keep everyone on the same page and help motivate them towards being on board with these different innovative initiatives. Yeah. And I think that that's, I think that that thoughtfulness has has paid off. It took a little while and we iterated over it a little bit, but I think that, um, is it fair to say we innovated around innovation? I, I <laughs> think we, like... innovate, we innovated innovation. I think it's a, it's a safe way of putting it, <laughs> if that makes sense. Wow. Okay. Before we go down the rabbit hole on, the, on this stuff, um, I think that it's useful to a good starting point. Like we know we're talking about innovation now, but in particular, we're talking about uh, innovating within an organization and some of the considerations that you might want to take into account as you are, um, you know, within your own organization, for anybody who's listening, um, thinking about how to approach this in a way that isn't, again, like isn't too froofy and pompous um, where you're, you know, not just playing with toys, um, but actually solving real strategic problems for an organization. Um, I think it's important to kind of like take a step back and deconstruct this a little bit. And probably there's there's different organizations that fall on different sides of the spectrum. Some organizations are pretty conservative and don't do a lot of innovation at all because it's costly and it's taking a step into the unknown and it's scary and maybe the, your margins are so tight that there's no really no room for innovation. At least that's what some people's perceptions are that aren't doing innovation um, or innovation is just doesn't really fit with the function of the organization. But I, I find that that's probably few and far between um, on the other side of things. There's probably like the more Silicon Valley style of reckless abandon where people are just sort of pursuing whatever wonky idea that they have and, you know, there's venture capitalists who are throwing tons of money at these these efforts, and 
you know, understanding that a lot of them aren't going to pay off, um, but enough of them pay off and make enough money that it kind of makes the whole system worth it. Um, and I think that what we're trying to find is a happy medium between those two places where we're really doing purposeful innovation. But I th- and I'm sure that you've seen this in the past, and I'm not sure what it was like. Maybe maybe you can reflect a little bit about where you're, the cyber charter school that you worked for um, fell on the spectrum. But I've observed many times over the course of uh, my career um, where where there were good there were good thoughts within the learning design space or the educational tech, I guess more specifically the educational technology space, um, good ideas, uh, that lacked a little bit of focus. Um, and, and, and there needs to be a lot of creativity in, in when you're doing innovation, there has to be a lot of creativity, but, um, in, in some cases, like these, these efforts that I was part of lacked a little bit of focus and between the, whatever the technology purchases that were necessary to pursue a particular innovation or the staff time that was required um, that to, to develop the innovation or evaluate new tools or to push things forward, which inevitably that money or that staff time took away from other potentially revenue generating activities or um, other things that higher level leadership in the organization um, could really put their finger on what the value of it was, what the return on investment was. Um, the, it was any, any of those sort of innovation related activities were taking inherently taking away from those other things that where the value was a little bit more clear. Um, and, and so it, it ends up kind of, souring the organization a little bit or their perception of innovation because it's just sort of like you know depending on who the leadership is it's just sort of like or or what perspective if you're looking if you're from an organization who's not investing in innovation you see this other organization that's doing a lot with innovation but it's not producing a lot of results either case it's sort of like look at these guys they're just playing with whatever cool new toys in front of them and um you know, they just have a big budget that that was a big thing too. It was like, you guys put all this budget, it's, it's the university's money and you're putting all this money and this important money into, um, these, you know, playing with things and it's not really producing a lot of results. So I, I have a lot of experience with those sort of situations. And when I came into world campus learning design, um, where we, we're both at now, um, I was looking at, uh, and, and this is a, an, an example that's close to you, so you can join, pitch in here, is um, there's a lot of work being done around thinking about virtual reality um, and, and where that effort was, you know, and this is a massive oversimplification of, of the situation at the time, but there was a team that had got together done a bunch of research around VR, maybe played around with some of the different technologies to get familiar with them, wrote up a white paper, and then that white paper got published for everybody in the organization to read. And that was sort of the end of, at the end of it. Um, and, and while that was useful information, it was sort of like, uh, sort of, um, there, there was a lot farther as we can, as we've demonstrated I'm going to talk about this, but as we've demonstrated, there's a lot farther you can go. 
um, with that particular topic if you if you do it right. And we weren't doing it right at that time. So do you want to expand on like specifically that early experience and, and sort of my challenge yeah, to you guys? Definitely. I think um, I think you nailed it. The one the one piece you mentioned there about something being deliverable and concrete and, and showing results. And I think that's where we struggled as an organization where that we had some great ideas. You know, we, we went somewhere with them, but we didn't take them all the way. We never really saw that implementation or we never saw it actually put into practice. It just kind of would fizzle or fade away and everyone would kind of reflect and say, oh, that was fun. That was interesting. But now what? And so we really made it a, a fact that, okay, if we're going to come up with this new framework for innovation and help support innovation, we need to see tangible results and need to define deliverables. We need to um, do those things, not only for ourselves and for leadership and administration, but for everyone within the unit to help motivate them and keep that motivation and that momentum and try to instill that drive so that people would be interested in these initiatives. People would be interested in these types of um, projects and in different groups to participate in those because that's where the innovation comes from. It's not from the top down. It's all organization wide throughout the entire space. So it can't just be driven by leadership and administration and expect things to happen. It needs to come from the bottom all the way up as well. Um, yeah, I'm glad you add as well, too, because I think that the reality is, is that sometimes it does come from the top down. Oftentimes, the things that come from the top down are not well defined. So it might be like you guys need to invest in VR, or you need to do something more tangible. I think, and to me, and obviously this is reflective of my own philosophy here, is we need to move forward in the space. There's value in this space. You guys figure the specific thing out. So that, I think that's the challenge that I gave you guys was um, you did good work here prepping for this. Find a course, build something. Let's see something concrete here. Mm-hmm. And and. We did. I mean, really quickly, we turned that around and, and learned a lot from it. Uh, do you want to talk about some of those early experiments? Related to virtual reality? Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, at this point when, you know, the virtual reality, you know, we kind of had this group together with the, everyone had an interest in virtual reality. We didn't really have a structure at that point. So this, that was kind of the birth, the birthplace of what we have now with these exploration teams and these other higher level initiatives. So we were kind of trying to find our way and trying to figure out how we fit within the greater organization. Um, so Chris, you know, you were you were new kind of coming in as director. So I think we were trying to fill each other out and we wanted to push forward, but wanted to make sure we aligned with your strategic initiatives and your direction for the unit as well. Um, so, I, but I think we were definitely on the same page with, yeah, let's get something concrete. Let's Let's put something in place. So knowing that we had that support from, leadership and that you know we were able to take a few risks and and really dive into something and and have it be okay to fail or be okay to hit a roadblock and have to troubleshoot those things melt made us within the group feel much more comfortable mm-hmm. and much more excited because we weren't quote unquote scared or anything like that you know we, we were kind of open to knowing that hey this is a new and emerging area there was we did, we did research. We couldn't find anything related to virtual reality, specifically to online learning. So we were in this new niche space, and that was exciting um, for us and for World Campus, I think, because uh, 
back to I mean, maybe take a step back to when we're talking about organization types. You know, generally speaking, corporate is much more innovative. That's kind of the stigma around it. And the stigma around higher education is that it's not innovative. That, you, that innovation in higher education doesn't really happen very often. And you can argue that innovation within K twelve is much quicker and much more efficient and things happen very quickly there than it does in higher education. And there's probably tons of reasons why all those things are, but for us to kind of be on the forefront within higher education, within online learning and be exploring virtual reality and incorporating it with online learning and asynchronous courses, that was kind of exciting. And and by getting our information out there and iteratively, mind you, because we I think that was important that we didn't just wait till we had something perfect. We shared our findings both internally and outside of the unit throughout the way. So we would get iterative feedback from other institutions and, and that would just help motivate us even more because no one else was doing what we were doing and they were excited about what we were doing and asking us questions and wanting to meet with us and show them demos of the kind of technology and, and pieces we were putting in the courses. And, and that was highly motivating for our group because it kept us going saying, Hey, we're still in the forefront. We're riding this wave. We're still in the front. This wave, we might fall off this wave and crash and burn, but we're still in the front of this wave. And for higher education, online learning, it was a, I mean, it still is, we're still there, I believe. And it's an exciting place to be because we're kind of defying that stigma of, oh, higher education can't be innovative. Well, you know, through the work we're doing with World Campus, the initiatives we're putting in place, we're trying to counteract that and change that stigma and change that mentality which yeah. you know, so, hopefully we're seeing that work out for us. Yeah, and I think that, that the way that the, the devil's in the details, and I think the way that you do that is really, I mean, there's probably different ways to approach it. And to some extent, it's contextual to the organization that you're in, obviously. Um, so maybe some of our learnings about strategy here are somewhat specific, maybe to higher education or even to Penn State. But um, when, when I to get to like some specific examples, one of the things that, uh, again, I challenged you guys to, to actually build something and we found, uh, and I don't want to over-focus on virtual reality, but I, I think that this is just a one, one of the, I think a, couple, a short list of fully developed innovation arcs that we have here that we can talk about expressly, but I, uh, fully, but I, I don't think it's, you know, anything exclusive to virtual reality, but we, um, we, you guys started digging into basically first finding courses um, that we could do something with. I think 360 video was uh, was it was a good kind of low hanging fruit. So I'll say that as like an initial principle in terms of maturing innovations. And and I and I want to talk this through because I think it provides the foundation for our current exploration team concept. Um, but the first kind of challenge was. Use some low-hanging fruit technology that is easy to access. It's it's not expensive, it's not complex to develop, and then find a suitable course that, from a pedagogy standpoint, has good alignment with the idea, and then also faculty who are kind of willing to experiment a little bit with the content of their courses. Um, and we found early on two good candidates: one in our special special education course. Um, and one within nursing, which is a program that you oversee. Do you want to unpack real, real quickly what those two projects were? Yeah, I mean, and even just there's lots of different stakeholders, as you kind of mentioned, those projects. And being something innovative and different 
for our courses and for the, the partners and departments and programs that we work with, you know, it, it would be kind of daunting to just kind of pitch them and say, hey, let's do virtual reality or 360 video and courses. You would probably get the deer in headlights and, you know, they'd probably say, whoa, that sounds expensive, sounds fancy. What is this going to cost? But I think, you know, through this group and, you know, we really did a good job of kind of bridging that or shrinking that knowledge gap and bringing them to be on board and, and kind of give them a little assurance that, hey, we know what we're doing and we're, we're, you know, this is kind of something new, something innovative. Come take this ride with us. And they quickly got excited about it and, and kind of jumped on board. So having that support, not only internally within our unit, but also from faculty that were heavily involved and, and just the, the programs in general was exciting for us um, as far as moving forward with putting these projects in place. So but, the special uh, education, this is special education one was, was sort of visualizing a classroom um, to teach teachers how to, um, you know, essentially construct different classroom yeah. dynamics. Yeah, everything. We were very quick to, you know, from the very beginning, being instructional designers, you know, we wanted to focus everything on pedagogy. You know, we're not going to throw in these bells and whistles and innovate for the sake of innovating. Anything VR related or 360, 360 video related would have to have meaning and, and help with the learning. So special education was a perfect example because they covered in one unit um, classroom arrangement, you know, the arrangement of desks in relation to the room and, and, and so forth. Um, so currently what they had was a 2D video with kind of like a blueprint look where um, squares would be symbols for desks, triangles would be symbols for chairs, and it was kind of animated and you would see it move around. Well, we, it was a perfect use case because we said, all right, what would be better? Hey, let's have the students in the classroom and actually see the chairs and actually experience that. So 360 video and setting up some kind of interactive virtual reality like um, experience for the students would be perfect. And to see that iteration from that 2D to actually being in the classroom where we had the actual classroom staged out with the different desks and semicircles and clusters and, and so forth, it, it was really great to see that iteration between what value the VR 360 video could bring to a course compared to what we were kind of left with previously with, you know, images or just flat video. Um, so yeah. that was really exciting to see that proof of concept come to fruition. And that's was essentially our foundation for pushing forward and, and getting other stakeholders, other programs, other faculty on board, because we could um, not only share the bells and whistles and how neat and interesting and fun it is, but also the educational impact as well. So yeah, so that's a really important point, and, and and again, it's starting to put some flesh on this idea of um, maturing and innovation. So we, so we use low hanging fruit. Three hundred and sixty video is pretty cheap to produce and easy for students with different capabilities to consume it. Um, and we and so we were able to turn that around really quickly within one semester. We did something in a course that was concrete and students actually touched. So it wasn't just we proved that it wasn't just conceptual that it was a uh, you know, something that was viable um, in a, in a, you know, in a real world setting. Um, and then, as you said, which is a really important point, we took the outcomes from that and then went to the nursing program and said, look, we're doing this now. We can do this within nursing. Um, you actually brought the headsets into a meeting with the, the program leadership and showed them. They got super excited about it. And we felt confident from an organization that we could resource this. So we 
knew how long from the pr proof of concepts, we kind of, the one practical thing we learned was how long the production process took. So we felt confident going in there and pitching a project because we could put some pretty realistic timeframes around it. Um, and then you did some cool stuff with, which we don't have to go into a ton of detail about, but um, doing home assessments for um, elderly patients for nurses. And, and again, it was a really good use of the, of that particular technology because it had that really like spatial component to it. And it was a good fit for the affordances of the technology. Um, and now, you know, now I would say that that was a, a success. It was a bigger success. Um, and now we're, we continue to evolve VR and we're looking at simulations, interactive simulations now. Um, and each of these things successfully built on them. And I think we're at the point with VR where we kind of disbanded the, for the most part, the original kind of conceptual exploration group and really have made this part of our um, mainstream standard tool set of things that we do in our courses. So, and that's, again, this, the, the total arc of VR within, with it, it's still growing, but, but you can kind of see from that initial white paper and that group of people meeting all the way through to proof of concept, using the proof of concept to build buy-in with stakeholders, get people excited, turn that into something bigger, have better examples, go to Inside Higher Ed or the Chronicle of Higher Education and get some good stories about it to get some more excitement built and, and some validation. You know, do some research, I think was an, is another thing here that we can kind of dig into to actually from an empirical standpoint, show that this is having impact on teaching and learning. Um, and then and then eventually figuring out all of the production stuff and the ins and outs and of, of like actually operationalizing this thing. And so that's kind of like the terminal point to some extent. I don't want to say terminal point because it's actually a cycle, but the end of one cycle, I should say, is, you know, is the, is the, operationalized mainstream usage of a particular new technology. So that's where we're at with this. So maybe as a, as, as a quick segue into like the exploration teams, we, we did that kind of went through that arc and learned a bunch of things along the way and then said, well, this looks like we're, we came up with something here that's reproducible for other technologies. I think learning analytics is a good, another good example for us to talk about. Um, but, but we need to write this stuff all down. Like we need to, A, we need to have like a good, well-documented process, which is like a recipe list to, in a, in a sense, like a flexible recipe list that people can follow. And then also a, an innovation coordinator that could oversee that process and make sure that we were, we were, you know, keeping our deadlines and being focused on our goals. So with that said, I'll, I, I will let you kind of talk about the exploration team structure and concept and how all that stuff works. Yeah, the the need for the exploration teams kind of came up because we wanted to, it kind of sounds like an oxymoron a little bit. It sounds like it's conflicting, but it makes sense when we think about it in relation to how we work in our organization is we wanted structured innovation, which some people say innovation isn't structured. It's supposed to be kind of crazy all over the place and see what sticks and that sort of thing. But you know, the, the way we saw within organizations that there'd be these pockets and silos where uh, an interest group would kind of spring up and start getting together and talking about something. And, and some people knew what was happening. Other people didn't know what was happening. Leadership didn't know. 
Um, and then one day you wouldn't hear from them anymore and they kind of disappeared and just disbanded because they lost interest. And then one day you'd ask, well, whatever happened to that group that was investigating, I don't know, mobile technology or whatever, whatever may have been. So there was a little bit of these siloed pockets kind of springing up and it was tough to get an understanding of who's working on what, what people are investigating, what's new and emerging. So we need to provide some sort of framework or structure around this. But at the same time, we didn't want to stifle innovation. We wanted to have it be this kind of grassroots type effort and owned by everybody. So by kind of putting together these exploration teams and coming up with this court innovation coordinator role, um, it kind of set a, a model in place where, hey, we can give people the freedom to kind of spring up these special interest groups, but leadership is aware of them and we know who's going to be on them. And if we need to do any kind of special staffing based on workload and and be strategic in how we're investigating these things. Um, and, and that really kind of helped us kind of get a handle of, of everyone knowing what's going on and we're not duplicating efforts and, and we're just being more efficient when it comes to these innovative ideas. Um, so part of what we wanted to do was, you know, in this cycle was, you know, it all starts with this ideation, you know, ideas for these groups, ideas for innovation can come from anywhere. And that was something that, I know I was I was very kind of adamant about and, and we were as we kind of put this framework together for these exploratory groups is that, yeah, sure, there'll be times where uh, leadership might come down and say, hey, there's this new topic. We need to spring up a group and look at this. Um, but at the same time, we want to get ideas from people as organically as possible. So, you know, if somebody mentions, hey, I've got an idea, I'm interested in artificial intelligence or universal design. Oh, that's great. How can we take that and foster that idea? Um, start doing some preliminary investigation and help empower those folks to kind of take ownership of wanting to explore those ideas, um, but with some structure. You know, let's be smart about it and not just um, kind of go rogue and, and do our own thing. Let's make it more meaningful and have some support from the top down uh, when looking at that. So we wanted to, you know, not have this a have the feeling that innovation can come from anywhere. And I think we've established that within our unit. You know, we have open calls where we, we say, Hey, like who's got any ideas? Does anyone read any articles or see any headlines or see any new or interesting ideas at conferences that they've been to? And maybe we need to start looking at that stuff and, and let's get an idea going. Um, and also through these exploration groups, it's great because it creates leadership opportunities within mm -hmm. our unit. Yeah. So we can really, um, uh, foster some professional development and help grow our staff and, and our people because we can identify these opportunities and identify different leads. And we've done a co-lead model, which has been very successful and, and put set people up with a lot of support and structure to take an idea, to take a group and lead a group and take it and run with it, make it their own. They're not micromanaged. You know, there's a little bit of oversight, but um, you know, it's theirs to make their make successful. So we really try to give them the freedom to do those things. So it's a great opportunity for those, those things within our unit as well. Yeah, there's a ton of interesting points to unpack there. Um, just the the impact of innovation on an organization and just the there's there's the specific outcome of a particular innovation, like how does learning analytics make us better as learning designers? That's important to keep your eye on. But also the, there's these other sort of ephemeral sort of benefits. Um, I didn't say ephemeral, but but uh, 
but but more focused on the organization, such as those leadership benefits or just the morale of getting to be part of one of these groups or just more generally getting people in an innovation culture where they know that this sort of thing is valued is important. Um, those are all really important um, things. In terms of the actual process, you mentioned ideation. Um, and, and one thing, and, and I might share the visual of this somewhere because it's kind of easier to get your head wrapped around, but the the way that we're th- we think about this is the ideation is a starting point, low-hanging fruit, exploration. Then we go into these small pilots like we did with VR, um, and then we go into production. And then, and then that production, results from that production kind of inform the next round of ideation. And the important, really important thing here from an operationalizing standpoint and getting buy-in from stakeholders and from leadership and um, just getting within the organization, getting um, building confidence in the process so that they want to be part of the next thing because they know that these things aren't just like wastes of time, is that each of those stages has specific deliverables to it. And, and and the deliverables are appropriate for the stage. So we're not asking people to do like this sort of uh, exploration and developing some big full-fledged product out of it. We're, we're really just looking at that point of at best proof of concepts. Um, and then from the pilot process, the pilot part of this stuff, it's still a small implementation. And we do a lot of, so we get some of our people are focused on research to do assessments, evaluations with students and faculty and other people that are actually using the innovation um, and use that to learn. And so I think one of the things that I I would point out from a responsible, running a responsible organization that's doing innovation is that if you do it this way, which can make the whole thing, you can do it fast, but it can stretch things out. So you're not jumping right from an idea to a product, right? So you're doing a couple iterations of maturing something. What each of these steps do from a like a responsibleness standpoint in a way of building confidence with leadership and, and like kind of reducing the fear um, of, of the waste is mitigating mitigating issues. So when you're doing something where ideations have outcomes and then leadership looks at those outcomes and says, yeah, there's something here, let's keep going with it. You do the exploration teams. They do a lot of work, but it's still in a limited time frame. So it's a couple of months where they do a bunch of like, from a pedagogy standpoint, they're doing lit reviews and building a theoretical foundation, but then also maybe getting their hands dirty and building some prototypes. Um, and then and then again, that goes all that stuff goes back to leadership and we look at it and we say, yep, this is, or we could say, no, this, there's nothing here. Or I, another specific example is in the case of our artificial intelligence. We looked at AI in education. And I think that our assessment after the exploration team presented their findings to the leadership group was just like, there's definitely something interesting here. Like this is world changing, really important stuff, but it's not to the point where our particular organization um, is quite ready to start building this into courses yet. It's, it's too, it's too new. So we benefited from knowing more about that topic, but we, at that gate between the exploration teams and actually doing a pilot, we said, let's sit on this for a little bit. So as much as we're, as much as we're saying like moving things that have, that have feet through, that have legs through this process, we're also saying, well, you know, occasionally these things are not going to work at this time for, and we might say that for a lot of different reasons. And 
And that's good because to this point of mitigating waste, wasted resources, instead of like in the old days, we might have just kept plowing through with this and Mm -hmm. developing some kind of AI thing and spent hundreds of hours and not really got anywhere with it. Now we could make a really educated choice to say, looks interesting, not right now. And then we could refocus our energies on other innovations that were interesting to us. And that's exactly what we did there. I think it was a wise decision. With VR, we moved it forward. With learning analytics, we moved it forward. Um, So can you talk about, in the vein of this, like moving things to successive stages, after an exploration team is done, um, what are we doing in terms of like getting it out of exploration and getting it into pilots? Like, what does that process part of it look like? Yeah, you mentioned the importance of those deliverables, and and um, I think the, the foundation of all those deliverables and setting that up and that structure and and seeing that iteration uh, throughout was we found out early on that we needed to have these kind of charter documents in place for these groups. And this solved a lot of different things and addressed a lot of different things when it comes to these groups and um, how things were done previously was that, you know, we didn't want a group to just start working. And then again, we don't see them for six months. We don't hear from them for a year. And we say, what are they doing? What's going on? Uh, We don't know what they're working on, what their focus is. So when we set up these groups, we kind of set up these different charters, which kind of aligns with, um, you know, the different goals and, and the different deliverables. We set up benchmarks and time frame, which helps with um, the transparency communication, not only with leadership, but with the unit. For instance, in that first month, you know, after they launch, they do a presentation to the unit and say, hey, this is our group. This is who's in the group. These are our goals. This is what we'll be working on. So everyone in the unit knows what's going on. And so they know that, hey, if they've got a question or if they see something, they know who to go to for that to maybe help support that group in a secondary way. Um, So we set up all those benchmarks in order to see those deliverables, which allows us to not wait until too much effort is expended into it where we can pull the plug or we can kind of, you know, throttle down a little bit and say, okay, that's a little bit out of scope. Let's refocus. Let's recharter now that we have seen these findings or based on latest research or whatever it may be. So those charter documents are really kind of key for um, being efficient with these innovative groups. Again, providing them with a lot of autonomy to do what they want, but being able to see those iterations of the group and see that progress and and see those deliverables um, throughout their process. But um, as they get through their exploration, we kind of struggled a little bit at one point because we didn't quite know, well, what happens next? They explore and then what now? Um, We've got a great project management resource within our unit. So what does that transition look like? What are those things that triggers from an exploration? What differentiates an exploration team from maybe a formal project? Um, So we did, we struggled through that a little bit as far as defining the differences between those two, but we've really hit our stride recently where um, we've got a good process in place and, and have kind of set up these different rules, if you will, for exploration teams that, you know, you're working on proof of concepts, but the moment that you want to start piloting into a course and maybe start integrating something into a course or doing a test run within a real course, then that's a trigger that would says, hey, let's take a step back. This might need to be a project. Let's think through needs requirements. Let's think through an implementation plan. Let's think through a support plan um, to make sure that we're not doing anything haphazardly or that um, things aren't halfway done or not completely thought through um, by bringing in that project manager, that third party in to kind of help see that transition through 
to a project and then possibly to implementation is a huge asset and helps to kind of delineate that innovation innovation piece, that exploration piece, that theoretical, that, um, you know, that conceptual and practical look at everything to a project or to something concrete that we're putting into a course and help manage that and make that as smooth as possible. Given all the different functions within our unit, it's uh, it's been valuable. Yeah, and I think that there's a weird balance here between um, the creativity that's inherent in, in doing good innovation and the, you know, you wouldn't normally think of project management in the context of innovation per se. Um, no, they probably <laughs> most people innovating would probably not like the project manager because they put too much. Uh, yeah, it'd be too stringent, too strict on on everything that they want to work on. But uh, I, yeah. I think I think we've done a good job of integrating them at a right time right. and helping the group see that um, and acknowledge that and help coach them through that transition. I think has been good, going well for us. Yeah, and I think that the, the important thing regarding that strictness, and again, I think you have to really see the our little visualization for this to really get your head wrapped around it, but. Um, at each phase of the innovation maturing, there's more of that structure in place. So at the very beginning, there's very little. At the exploration, there's just a tiny bit more. And then at the pilot, there's there starts that, that starts to ramp up. The structure starts to ramp up. So like basically, the way you can see it as is like an inverse relationship between the 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 impact or the potential risks or the you know, the co- the potential costs and the structure. So like as impact is low, as costs are low, the structure can be can be low. As the impact gets bigger, then that structure, you know, gets gets kind of complementary. I guess it's not inverse, but it's parallel. Um, mm-hmm. uh, that, that, the, that, that they're both sort of growing over time. So you're getting the both the benefits. And this is sort of like having our cake and eating it too within our organization is is like getting getting all the opportunity for people to be creative and and not getting structure in their way but also getting the the goal drivenness of a of a project that actually produces results so that's i think if there's if there's anything that encapsulates everything we're talking about is just like this way of structuring an organization and putting strategies and processes in place so that you get both the creativity and the return on investment. And, and, and I think that we've hit the right balance there and, and, you know, and, and also managed to probably save the organization a lot of money versus not having this process in place where we, um, you know, didn't invest in things that we that weren't we weren't ready for or weren't really good fits for us. So, um, so one of the things I do want to point out as a par- parting thought too is another sort of an example, particularly from a learning design type of an organization that I think is useful. Not as like a specific, it's an outcome from our from our virtual reality work that's not actual like an imp- implementation in a course, but is this VR framework. So so. W- one of the things that you have to do throughout this whole maturing process is become more build competencies within an organization, like build, build up your, um, the, 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 the framework of your ideas so that you can make better decisions in the future. So it's not just like, Oh, we figured out VR and now we're just going to do it in a bunch of courses, but rather 
we learned a lot about VR. We know what the impact is. We know when it's appropriate and when it's not appropriate. And we know from a technology standpoint, some of the different authoring platforms and ways of hosting this stuff and, you know, and the requirements for the students in terms of headsets and whatnot. Um, so we know all those things. So now when we have new learning designers who are coming to the table to say, I want to do something in our courses. Now we've developed this VR framework, which I can let you take just two minutes to talk about, but, but it's sort of like a, um, I mentioned recipes earlier on, but it's sort of like a, a decision tree that we can go through to say, okay, tell me about your problem. Let's unpack it. Let's, um, let me give you some advice on what I think is the right approach based upon our previous experiences and, and the right fit for what you're doing. So we're not spending, we're not doing like a way heavy handed approach to VR if it's not necessary, or we might not even do VR at all if your idea doesn't really align, align with the affordances of VR. So anything you want to add, add on top of the, that in terms of the, the framework? Yeah, this really brings a full circle because we talked earlier about the, the VR group and, and kind of where they're at now. And, and they're, they've, we're in the process of transitioning from an exploration team to more, more of a consult, consultation role. And that's one of the benefits of these exploration teams and the wider benefit to the unit is that you're, you're better informing everyone. We're, you know, you're making the unit and everyone in it smarter around these new topics, such as that topic with AI. You know, it didn't fail, you know, just because we didn't move forward and implement AI in a course, it was still a huge success. Um, because now we know more about artificial intelligence and we can talk more intelligently about it and, and to have those conversations with our stakeholders and, and um, you know, the people that we work with. But in the sense of the VR group, um, you know, we're kind of consulting now. Now that we want to, we want to scale this up. We want to make this available for everyone to come in. But it's not an easy, quick and go do it and turn around times in a week. It, it takes a little bit of time. And and it goes back to our, our focus on pedagogy and making these things meaningful. And, you know, people get excited about VR and courses, VR and courses, and they think it's going to solve a lot of problems um, when it comes to engagement and interactivity. But that's not always the case. You know, and it needs to have meaning. It needs to be done right. Um, there's a, you know, we've learned a lot, like you said, about production, logistics, um, how to deliver these things within courses. There's a lot of different variables to consider. So our groups now is kind of transitioned to consultative role where, through this VR framework, we want to be able to um, help other as, as new interest and demand comes in for these kind of groups and new IDs or instructional designers come um, and, and want to implement these things in our courses. We want to help kind of empower them, educate them a little bit um, to make those leaders in the space. So even though we might have a small group right now of a couple IDs who are quote unquote experts on VR, that doesn't, that we, we want to scale it out there. We want everyone to be an expert in VR. Um, so we're kind of training them along the way and, and helping them think through that pedagogical process um, with their courses and their faculty. And they're the leads on those projects to get them done. Mm -hmm. um, so through the VR framework, we want to use that as a tool to help IDs go back to their faculty, to their program, and use that as a tool and a resource to have those conversations as you're talking through course content and you're going through the ideation phase, um, you can use that as a, as a guide as far as, okay, maybe we need to do um, a 360 still would be much more efficient and a quicker turnaround time compared to a video. What do we actually need? What is this piece actually going to accomplish? Um, 
you know, within the course, what's aligned with the learning objectives? Do we need interaction? Do we need branching? Let's kind of set these things up in this menu like you talk about and to help us kind of plan for these things, plan for workload, plan for turnaround time and and be more proactive in how we scale these things across all of our different courses and, and through our different revision and course development cycles. Yeah. Um, well, so it, it's working out. It's a work in progress, but I think we're we're getting to a place where we're we're trying to work more through the implementation phase of this and the scalability. Yeah, scalability is important. And again, like what our our mission within our learning design organization is to improve student learning as much as you know as much as we can, and to help faculty to deliver effective online courses. So, you know, doing niche, expensive things with VR is not really in alignment with our mission. Um, so that scaling, you know, we kind of gloss over that, but that scaling is really important. And so, so things like the VR framework or the stuff we're doing with learning analytics is really al- aligned to like, how can we use this innovation to make the biggest impact? Um, not just get headlines, but make like substantial impact on learning. Uh, and, and to do that and to like resist the urge to just to take on the niche expensive projects or just mm-hmm. like get totally, um, turned off or scared about ramping something up and shut the valve off entirely. Um, we can make really smart decisions about the, fitting the solution to the problem really tightly and minimize a lot of overhead, minimize and streamline as much as possible and just be really, really smart about every innovation decision that we make. And I think that, that um, that's paid off in dividends. Like, you, like just just the amount of stuff that we're doing as a matter of course is, uh, is really important. So, so, and that, and I think that that's a good, um, that's a good sort of summation of, uh, of, of our philosophy and, and how we've sort of put this into action. So we will wrap there and thank you so much for your time, Bill. And, uh, Look forward to seeing what the next big innovation projects are that we do. 